M A I N M U M U Main Menu Main Menu Welcome to Main Menu for March 11th, 2011. I'm Jamie Pauls. This week, a tech update from Chase Crispin, a visit with Doug Geoffrey of GW Micro about Windows 7.5, and Paul Hendrickson begins a review of My Movies Pro for the iPhone. That's all coming up on this edition of Main Menu. Tech Update, a technology news segment heard on ACB Radio's main menu and Accessible World's Tech Talk. Hello everyone, this is Chase Crispin's Tech Update for the week of March 7, 2011. Chase Crispin is ill this week, so I, Real Speak Tom will read the tech update for him. Here is this week's technology news. TNT Consultancy in the UK is now offering custom JAWS scripting. This means that, if you have an application that you would like accessible, you can pay TNT Consultancy to script that application for you. To see prices and learn more, please visit tanconsultancy.com. iOS 4.3 was just released for the iPhone, iPod Touch, iPad, and Apple TV. New in this release is a faster Safari web browser, Wi-Fi hotspot capability, a home sharing feature where you can play iTunes content over the network, and several small voiceover enhancements. To learn more about this update, visit apple.com to update. Connect your iDevice to your computer, launch iTunes, and follow the update instructions. Apple has announced the iPad 2, the next generation of the iPad. This new iPad is thinner than the existing iPad and has two cameras, one on the front and one on the back of the device. To learn more or to purchase an iPad 2, visit apple.com. iPlex has released an application called LookTel for the iPhone, iPod Touch, and iPad. This is an app costing $1.99 and will quickly recognize any US dollar bill if you hold your device 10 inches above the bill. You can get this application now from the App Store by searching for Liptel. NVIDIA 2011.1 has been released. New in this version is the support for bullets and numbering in Microsoft Word, support for several new Braille displays, and support for more keys on some Braille displays, as well as several other features. Visit nvdaproject.org to learn more and to download this new version of this free screen reader. A PH has released a new public beta for the book Port Plus. This update lets you play and delete individual audio files, adds support for open library books, fixes many bugs, and enables the wireless radio. This will mean that you can transfer files wirelessly download podcasts right on the book port plus and stream web radio stations to learn more or to download the beta visit a ph.org slash beta level star and a ph have announced their next generation of devices to succeed the icon and braille plus there will be two models of this device called orion one model will have a braille display and one will not these devices will be powered by android to learn more visit levelstar.com this will conclude the tech update for the week of march 7 2011 thank you for listening to this week's tech update if you have any comments or anything you would like to see added to next week's Tech Update, please call the Tech Update comment line at 206-337-4383 and be sure to listen to next week's Main Menu and Tech Talk. Windowize version 7.5 is very soon to be released, and this week we are visiting with Doug Geoffrey about the product. So, Doug, it's been a long time since you've been on Main Menu, and welcome to the program. It has been, and thank you very much. Glad to be here. There are a lot of exciting features in this new uh, upgrade, and probably way too many to be able to talk about today, but go ahead and give us what you believe is the best of the best. 
Right. Obviously, when you get the upgrade or when we when we put the upgrade up, there will be a readme or a, a documentation file that you can go through, and it'll give you an agonizing detail, all of the changes. But some of the bigger things that, that we're certainly touting about with this 7.5 release are the new user interface. If you're familiar with WindowEyes, you'll know when you popped up WindowEyes with Control Backslash or Alt-Tab to it or however, it used to bring up a menu bar across the top. And all the changes could be done, but they were done through mostly through menus. And so you'd pull down the screen menu, you'd make a change, and as soon as you hit enter on that change, then the menu would go away. And if you wanted to make another one, you had to pop into the menu again. And it became tedious if you wanted to make many changes within the screen menu. It also was very tedious if you wanted to make a global change. So let's say I, uh, Control Numpad 5 reads the current line under the cursor. Well, if you don't like that and you wanted to make it, for simplicity, F12, then it was very difficult to make it so that no matter where you were, F12 would read the current line. You could do it, we gave you the steps, but it was pretty tedious to do that. So now, uh, with the new UI, we first of all got rid of that menu concept up there, although there's still a menu when you pop up window eyes, but it's very confined to what menu options should be as opposed to all of the settings that we have. So now when you pop up window eyes, you get a, a very similar looking Windows dialog, where on the left you have a tree view, and all the different nodes and then the subnodes of those so there might be a screen node and under you open up the screen node and you'll find several other subnodes under that and on and on throughout all the different options so you arrow in the tree view to the options that you want to deal with then when you tab away from the tree view the right half of the dialog turns into those particular controls for whatever node you were on when you um, tabbed away so now I can make all these changes without having to go in and out of menus I'm just in RUI making all these changes do whatever I want these changes are also, which is different than the um, previous window eyes, is when you make these changes, they are immediately affected. So if I'm in the screen rate or whatever, and I'm up changing my rate in the new UI, it immediately affects that. Or if I turn off screen punctuation or whatever I'm doing, it immediately will affect that. And you'll notice it in our UI as well as you move around through all the other options. So that makes it very quick to do that. Also, mentioning the global type idea, now through the user interface, whenever you make a change, typically, and, and our menu levels still have two levels. They have a beginner level and an, and an advanced level. In the beginner level, whenever you make a change, it basically is global. So if I change my hotkey, let's say I go to the hotkey node in my tree view, I open up the hotkey node, I go down to cursor, which is one of the subnodes of hotkeys. I tab off of that, I go to the same similar look and feel that you would have had in the old window eyes in the hotkey dialog. I would arrow down to the particular hotkey that I want. In my case that I was talking about before would be line. And it will show control numpad 5. I'll tab over and hit the capture key and I'll hit a key F12 as, again with my example. Now that F12 key is global immediately right there. So no matter what application I'm in, no matter what I do, F12 will read the line under the cursor. Much easier than the way that it was in the past. And the same is true with all the options that you change. Now, if you're in advanced menus and you're more of an advanced user, you can actually pick and choose. And you can say, OK, I want ReadLine to be global for all these things. But maybe while I'm in Notepad, I really want it to be Control-F12 or whatever. So advanced users still have the control of making things specific to particular applications. But beginning users shouldn't have to be bogged down with that. Typically, when they make a change, they want it to be across the board. And that's the way that it is. So that's how the new UI would, would affect that. Also, little things in the UI, like in the past, we found that people, you know, window eyes supports a lot of synthesizers, a lot of braille displays. You don't have to select those devices during the initial install or select the ones you might want to use. We make all of them available all the time. So when you go to the select synthesizer, select braille display dialog, which again is a node off of the um, 
the tree view in our new UI, and you go over and select it. In the past, we would just blindly just make that device active and go on. Now the problem is if you selected the wrong device or, or you're maybe a beginner and said, oh, this maybe this is a device I didn't know I had. It's listed here and you hit enter and do it. Well now what it'll do is actually pop up a dialog and immediately switch to the new device, whether it's braille or speech, switch to it and you'll start hearing a tone that'll blip every 15, uh, for 15 seconds. It'll be blipping. And basically the dialog comes up saying, is this device working properly? And you have to actually accept it before it goes on. So that way if you accidentally hit a device you don't have, then this dialog will get you out of it because after the 15 seconds, if you don't respond, it will revert back. It's very similar to changing your screen resolution in the operating system because sighted people can get themselves in trouble if they set it to a resolution that their display doesn't support. They can't see it. They can't set it back. Well, the same is true if you set it to a synthesizer you don't have. So that's kind of a cool little thing that was added in there. Also, we've added context help to every option. So if I'm on any one of these nodes or any control that's in our user interface, I can hit F1 and it will pop up a little tooltip that will just give me a quick one-liner description of what this particular option is. So if I can't remember or whatever, hit F1 and it will give you help. If I'm on the tree view and I hit F1, whatever node I'm on, it will bring up the help manual in the Windows help format and put me on that section of the manual so then I can go through and read all the options relating to the screen or the hotkeys or whatever main node I'm on on the tree view. So that's the user interface. A lot more to it than that, but, but that really makes it much easier, I think, for the user, much more intuitive and more in line with the way that today's applications actually work. If you run any application nowadays, because there are so many options for most applications, you'll see it's very similar. Dialogue with a list or tree view on the left and all the controls on the right. The other new thing that we've done is, and these are in no particular order, I'm kind of thinking off the cuff here, but um, we added the, we updated our hotkey layout. Obviously a lot of people are using more laptops as they're going around, so the laptop layout that we provided, we've updated that. And one of the ways that we made that better is WindowWise now by default will map the caps lock key to act like an insert key if when you press it, you press some other key with it. So if I hold down the caps lock key and press T for uh, which normally insert T reads the, um, uh, I'm sorry, insert D, which would, ah, insert T, time and date, can't get my keys right. Insert T reads the time and date. Well, I could do that with the caps lock by just holding down caps lock and pressing T, and that will do the same thing. So anything that requires an insert as a modifier, you can use caps lock. If you want to tack, uh, rather toggle the caps lock, all you do is just press caps lock and let go of caps lock, and it will act just like a caps lock would have done. So it will toggle it back and forth. So that makes it really nice to be able to use the uh, hot, the uh, laptop layout on on your laptop device or if you're constantly going back and forth maybe you'd rather just use one layout but the laptop layout on a desktop was kind of a pain and vice versa was a pain so now if you really wanted to you could actually use both on your on both of your devices if you want to go back and forth. Um, we also now support virtual braille we've we were the first to support like uh, virtual channel or rather um, uh, remote computing like terminal services or Citrix or remote desktop. We've had that support for a long time and we've had virtual synthesizer support which basically meant you would use your local machines synthesizer while you're still logged into some remote system running WindowWise over there. So instead of using whatever synthesizer they have or porting their sound card output which is very sluggish to your local machine we had this virtual synthesizer. Now we have virtual Braille. So you Braille users can use their Braille display locally and be driving their remote system, whether it's remote desktop, terminal services, or Citrix. So that's very cool. We also um, 
we uh, have updated, of course, all of our, our scripting components that, that existing Windows users are familiar with. We're actually going away from the word scripting, by the way, and we're going with apps. And the main reason we're doing that is apps is well-defined in the Apple arena and other arenas as well. People know what apps are. They're not afraid of apps. They're excited about apps. They want to go get them and install them and run them. And the way that we've designed previously called scripting or apps with 7.5 and above is that we make it very easy for developers to go out there and create these cool apps that may or may not have anything to do with making an application accessible or making Windowize work better in a particular environment. That's, that you certainly can do that and there's a ton of those out there but they could also be just standalone little things that do cool things. The simple example that most people are aware of is like our whether or not script. Uh, or app now, which basically is a standalone little thing that pops up a dialogue and, and gives you the temperature of your location or whatever location you specify. So you can create these cool apps just like you could with an iPhone. And those are up on App Central, up on our webpage. You can deal with those. And um, just makes it work really nice to, to be able to do that. And the problem is we've had these things in the past, but people get a little bit nervous when they hear the word scripting because that has been with screen readers for so long. People kind of equate that to being something complicated and difficult to deal with. So we decided to go with the word app and make things much friendlier for users and encourage them to go off and use these applications. One way that we've done that is we've created several new apps ourselves that we're now shipping with 7.5. One of those new apps is called AppGet. That's A-P-P-G-E-T. Basically, this is a standalone application. Its goal is not to make application any application more accessible or whatever. It's the standalone thing that basically talks to our server, which handles all of the apps that are up there. And instead of having you have to go to the web page and surf and find what you want, which you can certainly still do, this just pops up a simple dialog that brings up a, a tree view of all of the apps that are up on our server that people have created and put them up there into different categories that are there. It allows you to search for certain things or only show me things I don't have installed or only show me things that I do have installed or whatever, all sorts of options. And once you find a particular app that you're interested in, because the description is there also for that particular app that you're browsing or looking at all of them, you can just hit enter or, or go to the install button and bam, it'll go to our server. It'll get that new app and go right into the install of that app and you've got it installed. So it makes it extremely simple to be able to go off and take advantage of these other people's apps. I was just talking to somebody today on support and I was mentioning our, our app development and all these different apps and oh no I'm that's not for me or whatever and I think again these people are scared off of that and I'm hoping this app get will get people to realize that it's really cool what's out there and you can very simply bring up app get with Windows G it pops up our dialog lists all the particular things and navigate to what you want another new app that we're including with 7.5 is an app called quick start this will happen um, it will pop up automatically the very first time you install 7.5 or run 7.5, whether you're upgrading to or you install fresh. It will pop up the first time and it just goes through kind of a wizard of what are your favorite things by default? What keyboard layout do you want to default to? What speech rate? What speech synthesizer? All these different questions and I don't remember how many there are but there may be eight to ten different questions that it asks you in a very simple what do you want? Do you want this type of scenario where you just walk through these different questions and when you're done your whole system is configured to be the way that you want it as opposed to having to learn our user interface right away, find where options are, make all these individual option changes. So the most popular things that people like to change immediately are in this quick start. Once you run it that very first time, it will never come up automatically on its own, only that first time. But you can always bring it up later if you want to through our app menu 
and that is a menu item off of our new user interface where you can pull it down and any app that's installed if they choose to puts themselves up there and all of our apps that we provide do and a lot of others do as well so you could go down and, and reselect quick start and it would go through that quick wizard again if you just wanna oh I wanna change something you could run it again we're also including things like hotspot which is kind of a um, a happy medium between people that don't know anything about scripting the how to create an app and um, maybe the you, you but you want to create something simple you know you want to be able to go to this particular location or hit this sequence of keystrokes or whatever but you don't want to create an app for that because you don't have a programming background hotspot is a quick way to be able to create that environment you can you can simulate keystrokes through Hotspot. You can say, move the mouse to this point and do a left click and then insert this keystrokes and then you know, do a right click or whatever. You can just combine things on. Uh, there's no limit to what you can actually do. So Hotspot is now included by default within with 7.5. We're also including several app-specific applications like Microsoft Access. We're shipping an app that makes Microsoft Access accessible. Um, IE Enhanced, which I'm going to talk a little bit more about Internet Explorer, but with Internet Explorer 9, which I'll talk about, they've done some different things which are very cool, and this new app that we're providing exposes that and makes it very easy to be able to use that, those enhancements. iTunes, we're now shipping an app so that we can make modifications as Apple makes, makes things better, maybe breaks things, we can quickly update our apps for iTunes app to get those things going. Windows Live Mail, we now have support for that and we're shipping an app. WordNav, to be able to navigate within Word documents much better, that app is now shipping. Um, even Duxbury app, if you've got, um, if you're using Duxbury, we've created a cool app to make it work much, much nicer. And on and on, there's there's a lot more to these. Um, Read2Me app, we've got running Voice Rotor app, some of those things that have been around for a while, we're just now including. Because we want people to get this experience right out of the box when they start using it. And we've just enhanced the whole app development environment and added new powers, new features, and things like that for those serious developers to go out and start creating them. And we're starting to see some really cool, serious type things coming out. Um, we also, uh, getting off of apps now, we've also greatly sped up Word documents, especially complicated documents. If you had a document in the past with Windows 7.2 that had, let's say, a big table of contents, you would notice as you were down arrowing line by line through that table of contents, it was very sluggish. I mean, it's just almost agonizing on some documents that had other things going on in it. Now it's back to full speed, and it just works much, much nicer. So we put a lot of effort into making, into kind of refining all that word support that we've done many years ago, to make sure that we can just optimize it and make things much faster. One of the other big things that we've added to Windows 7.5 is UI automation support. Um, it's getting techy, and I don't want to get too techy with all this, but sure. I'm sure people have heard the buzzword MSAA, Microsoft's Active Accessibility. Basically, what UIA and MSAA and all these other acronyms that come around are basically an interface that allows an application who doesn't necessarily work out of the box because they're they're making these special widgets that don't do what normal checkboxes or radio buttons or whatever do but they they want it to be accessible so what they do is they can expose their special widgets to the outside world using these APIs and as long as you have some assistive technology that's able to work with these APIs as well it can expose it to you in whatever fashion Windows case of course speech and braille so you'll get that information back at you and the the reason that UI automation is so important is it's being used more and more Microsoft's uh, MSAA has well, it was developed many many years ago it's really outdated at this point 
And UI automation is more future thought. It's got a lot of cool things that allow people to do things that MSA couldn't do and a lot of forethought uh, in it as well to allow things that aren't even developed to be done well. And Microsoft is now actually using this seriously in a lot of major applications. One of the big problems, well, if you're familiar with screen readers, the way that they, the reason they were called screen readers is they typically would scrape information off the screen and provide that to you. And we were able to intercept what's going to the screen and we can provide that to the user. Unfortunately now, a lot of applications are having to render themselves differently to the screen because of performance. They, they need to be as quick as possible. Internet Explorer 9, for example, has to keep up with Chrome, which is, you know, kind of, if you've seen any commercials on TV, is spouting about how fast they can pump information to the screen and how quickly they get it up on the screen. Well, using the old technologies to be able to put up on the screen, that in itself was a little bit sluggish, uh, especially on complicated pages. So now what they're doing is they're using a technology called Direct2D, which basically just means they're taking the information and writing it directly to your video card, which is extremely fast. The problem is that bypasses any adaptive technology that's trying to scrape information off the screen or try to intercept it before it goes to the screen. So our off-screen model is basically useless with any application that uses Direct2D. Now that might sound a little bit scary, and it is, and, and it's going to be a little bumpy road, but in the end it's actually a good thing because the less we're reliant on our off-screen model, the more we can talk directly to the application and get 100% accurate information 100% of the time, the better. So in the end, I think this is a better thing. So we have added this UI automation support within Windows 7.5 to fully support these applications that are coming out. And there's another acronym out there, WPF, Windows um, Presentation Foundation, which basically allows applications to be developed using these new widgets that look like the old edit boxes and radio buttons and tree views and all that business. But they're using this Direct2D approach to render themselves to the screen, which again means our off-screen model is broke. They're not, we, we can't get that information. So we're using this UI automation to be able to get those to speak. But major applications like Visual Studio 2010 that Microsoft has released is using Direct2D. Um, they're not using WPF controls, but the applications you create with it are. But if I'm a blind developer, I need access to Visual Studio 2010 to be able to create these applications. Well, Windows now supports Visual Studio 2010. And I mentioned earlier Internet Explorer 9, which is going to be released Monday, I believe, um, 9 p.m. Pacific time. They're going to be releasing IE9, which is also using Direct2D because they need to render themselves very fast to the screen. And so again, we're using UI automation to be able to get that information. They're also, um, um, as I mentioned earlier, IE9 is using different ways to render themselves. They've kind of changed their user interface quite a bit. And actually, I'm going to be working with one of the uh, team members of IE9 at CSUN, which is uh, coming up in San Diego in about a week or a week and a half here. I'm going to be partnering with them on a presentation that they're going to be doing with IE9. So they'll be discussing what the new things are that IE9 has, and I'll be showing how all that stuff works with Windowize as far as you know, being making sure that all that stuff is accessible. So that new app, that IE enhanced app that we provide, makes all these cool things that IE9 provides just just work and just work in a very cool way. So we're making sure that IE9 will definitely work. So it's actually very good timing 
by the time we get Windows i7 5.0 out, IE9 will be there and it's ready to go. So another one of those, Microsoft releases a major application and it works the day that it's released. We also have support. I'm almost done here. I'll let you breathe here in a second. Um, let me breathe, rather. Windows Live Messenger, we have uh, full support for that. Again, they use Direct2D to render that, so we made sure that we can make uh, that accessible. Windows Live Mail, we have worked to make sure that that is accessible. And again, Windows Live Mail is basically using the Internet Explorer engine to render its information. So if you've got IE9 installed, then it's using Direct2D. So we've made sure that even if you have IE9 installed, Windows Live Mail will still work. And of course, we're always working on stability and memory leaks and all that business. So that's that's always in there. And again, the README will talk about all of those changes. The last big thing that we've added and we've, we've seen a lot of requests for this, and even our support department wants this, is something called remote assistance. We, as I mentioned before, we were the first to support um, remote computing, so I could use remote desktop or terminal services or Citrix to log into somebody else's computer. The problem is you need a professional version of something like Windows, Windows 7 Professional or Ultimate or whatever, not the home versions, because they don't support this remote technology that we already provide for. And also, usually these technologies will log out the person you're connecting to. So if there was somebody sitting on the machine that you're remoting into, and you remote it into their machine, their screen would go blank, their screen reader would stop working, and they wouldn't hear anything on their end. So what would be nice is if we could have some way to be able to get to those same machines, let their machine run as normal, but I can then look at that machine and maybe help that person in some way. Microsoft has always had remote assistance in their operating systems. What we did was we kind of piggybacked on that technology and and remote desktop technology that's that's on these machines and we made it so that we can do remote assistance now. So for example our support department could remote into a system of somebody's that's having some problems. They will see their system running. I will see their system running. If I'm a blind person on the, you know, if I'm a blind helper, I would actually hear what's going on as well. That information is being ported just like a virtual synthesizer channel. So I'm going to be able to hear the remote person's synthesizer, what it's saying. I'm hearing it through my synthesizer on my end and be able to deal with it and work with it. Now, one of the things that with this remote assistance that we have when 7.5 ships in a few days is that it will only support Windows Vista and above, which means Windows Vista and Windows 7 and any server variants of those that will be supported. Now, we realize there's a lot of Windows XP users out there, and right now we do not have that support, but we, uh, we, we definitely will get that support. We just didn't want to hold up the release of 7.5 to get Windows XP support. So what we'll be doing is providing just a, a little add-on type upgrade that you can just replace some of the system components that deal with remote assistance and you would you would be back up to speed with with Windows XP and remote assistance so that definitely is going to be coming it'll be a separate upgrade it's completely separate of Windows itself so it's very easy to get the upgrade and get that all installed but Windows Vista and the Windows 7 users will just work as they deal with that so again there's a lot more in that readme and I've skipped very quickly through a lot of these things and I apologize for that but hopefully that gives you a good basic feel for what will be in this Windows 7.5 Windows 7.5 release. One of the things that I think is worth mentioning when we talk about apps just real briefly is how easy it is to install and uninstall them. It's just absolutely no problem at all, is there? 
Right. I mean, that's the that's the point of it. We tried to make it extremely simple. So the developer of the app can put it all together. It's packed into one single file, and that single file has an extension of .wepm. So there's all sorts of ways. You can just hit enter on it with Windows Explorer, and it'll immediately go right into the install of Windowize. That extension is associated to Windowize. So if you've got the file, somebody gave it to you, you can just launch it that way. Or you can use AppGet, as I mentioned before. You can just do Windows G and find the particular one you want, hit enter, and boom, it goes right into the install. Or you go to our web page, which is um, the App Central, or, um, yeah, App Central web page, and just go there, browse through whatever you want, find the one you want, and when Windows, uh, whatever your browser goes into an open mode, you can just say open it, and it will again just launch it, and it will go right into the install. And the uninstall is just as easy as uninstalling an app in your operating system. You go to our Add Remove app dialog. It'll show all the ones that are installed. You select the one you don't want. You hit Enter on Remove, and boom, it's gone. So it's very easy to do that. So while you're still trying to catch your breath from <laughs> the release of 7.5, I have to ask, what's next? Where do you go from here? Oh, you're never happy. Never <laughs> happy. Um, well, yes, we will take a little bit of a breather, but the, the big thing that we want to go to after this, of course, is web stuff. The web stuff is, I mean, it's started to take off. Uh, it's obviously the future. We want to make sure that ARIA is supported in the the new Web 2.0 stuff, and all that stuff is just supported. So we're going to be working extremely closely, which we've already done with the IE9 team, but we want to continue to work with them to make sure that we can support ARIA the best that it provides. We want to work with the Mozilla people to make sure that Firefox supports it, and I'd like to get some other browsers going here as well, maybe Chrome and you know, some of the other guys out there as well, get, get some of these things out there. But that's what we really want to focus on because so many, so many things are going web-based nowadays. Very nice. Now, this upgrade does have a cost associated, correct? It does. This is the first paid upgrade that we've had, I think, in about two and a half years since 7.0 came out. We've had many upgrades since 7.0, sure. but they've all been free. This one is a paid upgrade, and boy, now I shouldn't, you know, you're talking to the tech guy, not the, uh, the guy. But I believe what the price is, I think we're having a special here. And oh my gosh, I should have checked this out first. I believe the, the normal cost for this is $175, mm -hmm. but I believe we are offering for a limited time here. I believe until we announce the, re the official release, which is coming out in a few days, you can pre-order it for $150. Okay. Obviously, if you are an SMA user, you will just get this upgrade. It will just come to you. You might want to make sure that if you've moved, please let us know that type of thing, but you will automatically get that. If you are an SMA user or you have prepaid for this, uh, you will you will get that CD, but you also will be able to immediately download it off the web page. Very good. Well, we are very excited about this release. I think it's great. There's a lot of good stuff there, and I'd like to thank you for taking the time to visit with us today. You're very welcome. Thank you for asking. Hi, this is Paul Henriksen. This is my first podcast. I'm doing this on a book sense, so I don't really have any way to edit it. So we'll just sort of have to go with it and see how it works. But I wanted to talk to you today about an app that I've uh, been playing with for a few days that I really like. It's an iPhone app. It's called My Movies Pro from Binnerup Consulting. That's spelled B-I-N-E-R-U-P space consult. I believe it's consult. I don't think it's consulting, but I think it's Binnerup Consult. They have a free version called My Movies and a My Movies Pro version that sells for $4.95 or however they do that from the Apple Store, $4.99, however that works. The free version will allow you to add only 100 entries into your database. 
What the program does is it allows you to catalog your DVD collection so that you've got all your movies listed in a database. They upload that database to, the My, to their My Movies website and they do this so that they can synchronize this database between iDevices. So if you have an iPhone or you and someone else in your house has an iPhone or if you have an iPhone and an iPad or an iPhone and an iTouch and an iPad, you can actually synchronize your catalog, your DVD catalog, between these devices. So it's pretty nice. It is totally accessible and as I say the free version only allows you to add a hundred titles and it doesn't it does it does some other things but the pro version does even more things than the free version does. But the free version uh, is not not too bad except for that hundred hundred title limit if it had an unlimited number of titles, it would have been worth it just to stay with the free version. I've got this in my entertainment folder, so we'll bring this up. My movies. Double tap to open. Password. And what it does, it comes up with a welcoming screen. I, what I've done is I've logged out so that I can show you what it's like the first time you run this application. So I'm going to flick down here. Welcome to my movies for iPhone Pro. And there's the welcome message, welcome to the My Movies for iPhone Pro. And I'm going to right-flick through this screen and show you the things that are on this particular screen. My Movies requires a user account, which ensures that your collection is always kept on our servers if you switch between phones or different clients. Please log into an existing My Movies account or register a new account. So this just tells you that the reason you're doing this is because you're logging onto their server so that they can synchronize between your various um, iDevices. Tap here for help and support button. There's the help and support button if you need it. Username. There's a username prompt and the username Double text field. Password. There's the password prompt lost account button. and a lost account button and then the password prompt the password field. Secure text field. Double there's, tap to edit. There's the password field. And on either of these fields, by the way, if you entered some text on there, there would also be added. Once you edited this field, there'd be a clear text button. So if you started to put in your username and you made some kind of a mistake, you could either delete it out or you could just right flick over to the clear text button and you could clear the text and start all over again. Register. One of one. This is the button you'll use the first time. This is the register button. So when you put in your username and your password, you'll go here and you'll register and then you'll follow the prompts and wait for it to wait for it to register you on the server. Login. One of one. And this is the login button and that's the button that I will be using today to log in and put in my username and password. So I'll pause the unit right now and I will go ahead and enter that data and we'll be right back in a minute. Okay, so now I've logged in, put in my information, entered my name and my password, and I'm sitting on the login button, so I'm going to double tap that login button. Selected. Login. One of one. Login. One of one. Button. And we'll wait for a few seconds. And there we are. Now it's showing me the screen of the first, the first screen of the movies that are in my DVD catalog or in, in their database for my DVDs. There are buttons on the top and there are buttons on the bottom. We'll start with the top buttons first. When you come into this application, the first button you're going to come across on the top left is a button that says, it will probably say, small list mode. You need to change this to wall mode and it's just a toggle. It goes toggles between small list mode and wall mode. Small list mode shows you pictures of the covers of the DVDs in your collection. And so, of course, it doesn't talk. The letters will speak A, B, C, D, E, F, etc. But the actual titles will not speak because they're just pictures of the DVDs in your collection or the VHS 
movies in your collection. It's just the covers of them. Uh, my wife, who is sighted, likes wall mode better as well as I do um, because the pictures are kind of small in order to get a lot of them on the screen. So I'm going to toggle this back to wall mode. Wall mode. One one. Now we're back in wall mode where we get one line per entry on the screen. So we might only have maybe have 15 lines on the screen for each of the DVD entries where picture or, or small list mode would probably give us more like 20 or 30 because they can do probably four pictures per line. And of course if you turn the phone sideways you could get even more pictures per line. So we're back in wall mode now and this is the one that you'll want to put it in when you get ready to use this app if you're totally blind. The next button as we flick to the right is the filter button and you can filter by various things. For the display you can filter by genre or by type. Do you want to just show your Blu-rays? Do you want to just show your DVDs? you want to filter by um, date added or do you want to filter by year released or parental rating. Do you want to just show the, the PG or the PG-13 movies? That sort of thing. So you can double tap on that and then you can decide which how do you want to filter this. The next one is title and if you double tap on title it will bring up a sort field so it pretty much says how do you want to sort your titles? Do you want to sort them by again do you want to sort them by rating by genre? So I guess you could have all of your sci-fi fantasy ones first, all of your comedy ones after that. Depending, I imagine they would do it alphabetically. So it's just a question of how do you want to filter the titles that are displayed to your screen. Uh, it seems to me a lot like the filtering one, although with the filtering one you're filtering, you're not putting them with all of the sci-fis together and all of the comedies together, all of the action together. You're just filtering them by other criteria. The next button it says up. And this button, it doesn't really change when you tap it. What it does is it will either put the titles as ascending or descending. So either A to Z or Z to A. And right now it defaults to A to Z. So And it actually starts with the numbered titles at the top. So the first entry in there says number. Because anything that has a number in it, for instance the movie 2012 or the movie 101 Dalmatians, those have numbers in them so they would come up first before the A's. The next one is barcode. This allows you to actually scan in the titles from your DVD collection. I've done this as a blind person. It's a little bit tricky to do and it takes some time, but I've actually scanned in um, about 10 movies the other day. It took me about two hours or so because it's a little bit difficult to find that barcode. We'll go into this menu and we'll look at it really quickly. The first thing in this is you, there's a mute button and that's because when you scan in the barcode the phone will make a ding sound to let you know that it in fact received the barcode. You can mute this so if you don't want to hear that sound. But if you're if you're visually impaired and you're going to try to scan in the barcode, you're going to want that that ding. So you're not going to want to mute this. UPC. Then there's a UPC uh, entry. I guess that's where the UPC is going to show up. It says UPC ing is what it says. But that's where the code is going to show up when you scan it in. Align barcode edges with arrows. And then there's some information here. It says align barcode edges with arrows. And as I say, this isn't too bad. If you're, if you're just slow at your, using your phone with your camera, you can probably do this. It's a little bit tricky, but mostly I don't use this method. I have tried it, though, and I have been somewhat successful at it. Barcode must be upright. Avoid glare and shadows. So barcode must be upright. Avoid glare and shadows. And that's tricky to do on some DVDs because those covers will sometimes glare. 
because of the because of the plastic covering they put on them. And if you're in the light and you can get shadows, so you want to kind of keep your hands out of the way and of your camera and that sort of thing too. Country. And there's a link that's uh, it's not a link, but there's a, an item that says country, and you'll see this later how to change this. There's one that says country. Multi-scan. Multi-scan is where you can scan an item and then you can just pick up the next item, scan it, pick up the next item, scan it. I've never tried this because I don't know once you scanned about 10 or 20 items is it going to then present you with a list asking you if you want to add these items or how is it going to work. It's easier for me just to scan them one at a time and I noticed my wife was doing the same thing. She didn't use multi-scan. She would just scan them one at a time and then do the next one. At least I don't believe she was using multi-scan. She did a whole bunch of them yesterday. Button. There's the cancel button that we're going to want to get out of this later. Any button. There's an any button, and this button, what it will do is it'll say, okay, are we scanning for DVD, Blu-ray, or VHS? So if you know you're scanning a Blu-ray, you can specifically set it to scan the barcode that has to do with the Blu-ray. And this is nice because many of you know when you get a DVD, there's a lot of different flavors of that DVD, a lot of different packages you might get DVDs with bonus discs, you might get Blu-rays where they'll have one Blu-ray will have just the Blu-ray, the next Blu-ray will have the Blu-ray and a digital copy. The same That same title might have a Blu-ray, a digital copy, and a bonus disc. So there are different packages. So you might want to um, kind of keep that in mind when you're scanning and just say, okay, let's just scan for Blu-ray then. And at least you won't have so many things to pick out. I mean, try scanning Star Wars and you'll get 25 of them. So, off and this is the off button. This has to do with uh, multi-scan right now, since multi-scan is off. If I were to double tap that button, it would then turn multi-scan on, and I could just go from DVD to DVD and scan them. So cancel. let's come out of here, and we'll cancel this. So now we'll go back to our top, and we'll look, we'll look at the buttons that we've been going through so far. And here's barcode where we were. And here's the one that I use mostly. Plus. It says plus. We're going to go into this particular menu. And this has some of the same features that were in the barcode menu. And the reason I think this does, I'm not sure why he did this, but one of the things that he talks about when he gives a promo for the app is that you can be in a video store and you can scan the barcode of a movie in. You can watch the trailer, you can go to the IMDB site and maybe look at the reviews, see what people thought of the movie to see if you really want to rent this movie or not. You can see who's in, who the, are the stars in the movie, what's the running time, what's the parental rating. Uh, the IMDB thing is kind of nice because at least you could go in there and you could look at the critic reviews and then the customer reviews to see if it was something worth spending five or six bucks on to rent. But it's also nice when you're when you have the movie in your collection to see what people thought of it and what how they rated it. So now we're in this we're in this plus menu and this is the one that I mostly use. There's the heading for preview title. And it has title, which is one of two. That's the one we're going to be doing. And there's barcode, but you'll notice if I flick right again, you'll see another barcode button. That's because the first barcode will do the same thing that the other barcode menu did. where It'll bring up the scanning menu and allow you to scan in the barcode. The second barcode button will allow you to add the barcode manually. My wife had to do this last night for a few items where we just couldn't seem to pick up the barcode. So she was able to go in and hit this second button, enter the barcode, and then have it go search. And so that's kind of nice if you know the barcode. Enter movie title. 
Now there's the prompt to enter the movie title, and here's the text field to enter the movie title. Then we have the search button. After that, there's just an, uh, really a label that says country and a label that says type because the next two buttons are kind of like the ones in that barcode menu. United States you have United States, so I can hit this and I can change to some other country like maybe Germany or Italy or UK or something like that and say this, well I'm scanning for movies that are in the UK. I'm, I don't want to see any United States offerings. The next button, button is that same any button again that we saw before and that one will say well I'm only searching for Blu-ray or I'm only searching for for DVD. The next one is a create title button. If you're like me, you might have some movies that you've you've recorded um, onto a DVR and then maybe you burn them to a DVD um, off the television. And so they're not going to have a barcode. So I've got a few movies like that that I will probably have to go in here and create a title for. And I'll have to enter so I can get that into my database. I'll have to enter that in, put in the appropriate information that I have for it, at least the title, if nothing else. Um, and maybe the rating and maybe uh, in the notes field maybe a little comment about it or something like that so at least that I can show that it's in my collection but that's where you would create a title. Report missing title. The next one is to report a missing title and we had to do this last night as well because there were some movies that there were no barcodes for or there were barcodes on the movie but when we scanned the barcodes nothing showed up so what we had to do is we had to go in here we said reporting a, a report a missing title and what they make you do is they have you put in the barcode, take a picture of the front and back of the DVD, and then I believe they have you put in the title of the DVD as well and submit it. And then there are people at the mymovies.dk site, which is where this is, mymovies.dk, will go through and supposedly they say within 48 hours they will add the movie to, to their database. So I submitted three last night, so it's going to be interesting to see if they... Uh, if they can add the movies to the database and if they'll send me back an email saying we now have these movies in the database. So let's try to do a search for something. I, had, I didn't do this before, but if we do a search for something, this might be a good idea to show you how this works for a totally blind person. So I'm going to go over here. I'm going to go over here to the text, text field. And I know my wife hasn't put this one in yet, so I'm going to say there's a Christmas one I think that we have called Shrek the Halls. So I'm going to try to put that in. Made a mistake, so I'll delete that V. Okay, there's my Shrek the Halls. Now, just to show you, I happen to know this one's not a Blu-ray, it's just a DVD. So, I mean, I'm sure, I don't think they have a Blu-ray for this, but I'm going to tab over here. I'm going to find my, my buttons again here. There's my clear text button. There's my search button. But before I do that, I'll just go over here to any. And I'll double tap this. So it's, my choices are any, DVD, which is what I'm going to eventually get, HD DVD, Blu-ray, and that's it. So I'm going to come back here to DVD, and I'm going to hit that. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to, at the bottom right of the screen, I don't know if you have to do this, but I found this here the other day, there's a done button. And I'm going to hit this. 
Now I'm going to go look for. Now I'm going to go look for the search button. There's my search right there, and I'm going to hit search. Selected search one of one. And then I'm going to wait for it to go up to its database. Okay, there's my results, and I have six results. Who knew there were six different results for this particular Christmas movie? Results six heading. Shrek the Halls, United States, 2007. Okay, there's Shrek the Hall, United States, 2007. That's probably going to be the one I'm going to want, but let's see what else is here. Shrek the Halls DVD and TY Beanie Baby Shrek, United States, 2007. Ah, so there was something with the Shrek the Halls and something about the baby Shreks in here. I don't have, didn't even know that one was out. Shrek the Halls, Shrek the Third, United States, 2007. There's Shrek the Halls and Shrek the Third evidently packaged together. Shrek the Halls, Shrek the Third, United States, 2007. And, and yet another one, probably with a different picture on it. Shrek. Shrek 3D, United States, 2001. And then Shrek and Shrek 3D. Shrek, Shrek 3D, United States. And another Shrek 3D, probably a different packaging. So I'm going to go Shrek, back here to the first one the because I know it's going to be this first one Shrek that I Halls, want. United States, Shrek the Hall. So I'm going to hit enter on this one or double tap it. Details, results, six, back button. Okay, now it's going to go up and it's going to bring me up with a different screen here in a second, I hope. Shrek the Hall. Okay, let's look at this screen. So this is the new screen that I'm going to tab all, I'm going to flick all the way over here to the to the left so we can go through this screen here. This is the next screen that you're presented with. Details heading. And this is the details screen. There's the add movie button, but now we can go through and see the rest of the things that are in this screen. And this is going to be similar to something we're going to look at later. There's the title. There the the fact that it's a DVD and it came out in 2007. 6.6 People rated it 6.6. There's a button. The button here has to do with how large do you want the little cover picture to download. I have it at 15K, so it's small. You can actually make it 50K if you wanted a larger, um, a larger cover picture. But I'm just using the small pictures. There's a back button. And evidently there's a trailer for Shrek the Hall. So you could actually double tap this and it would do the thing where it flips the phone sideways and um, you'd be able to view the trailer. And there go my clocks, so you're going to have to put up with my clocks. Country, Here's States. the country, United States. Oreg, Here's the, Shrek it says Orig title for original title. There's Shrek the Halls. Running time, zero, 22. Here's the running time, only 22 minutes. Zero, Here's the barcode. Here's the release date, November 4th, 2008. Ratio, Here's the aspect ratio. Here's the parental rating, not specified. Discs. And here's the disc. This is the one thing that doesn't really work in here. It doesn't really tell you on a, when it has discs whether it's a uh, one-disc package or a two-disc package. It shows it as a video representation, but he hasn't made it where, for us, us blind guys, it will say one disc, two discs, three discs. So we don't know how many discs are in the packages that we do here. So we will continue flicking right. And here's the IMDB, so if you want to go to the Internet Movie Database, you can read the critics' reviews or the customer reviews. You can try some trivia. Sometimes they'll have trivia things on here. Um, they will talk all about the movie, just like they do on, on anything that's in the IMDB site. Director, Gary Trostale. There's our director. Description, heading. There's our description of the movie. The Christmas tree isn't the only thing green in this new holiday classic. Shrek is back and trying to get into the spirit of the season. After promising Fiona and the kids a Christmas they'll remember, he is forced to take a crash course in the holiday, but just when he thinks he has everything for now it stopped right in the middle of there because if you tap on that, if you double tap on that, it will take you into a longer description. That's kind of just like almost like a summary description. 
So if I were to tap on that, I would get the full description. Extra features, heading. And here's the thing that tells me about the extra features. 12 days of Christmas sing along deck the house, cast, heading. And here's the cast. Mike Myers, Eddie Murphy, Cameron Diaz, Antonio Banderas, Cody Cameron, Susan Fixer, Christopher Knights, as Gary Trostale, Conrad Vernon, as Aaron Warner. Who knew there was who knew there was that many people in this movie? Audio tracks, heading. Here's the audio here's the thing that talks about the audio tracks. English, 5.1 Dolby Digital. 5.1 Dolby Digital. English, 2.0 Dolby Digital. See, there's a 5.1 and a 2.0. I'm going to be really interested. I, I haven't looked up. I've got a movie in here that I know has um, DVS on it, so I'm going to be very interested to go in here and look at the tracks and see if it lists the fact that it has DVS in here. That would be fascinating. Spanish, 5.1 Dolby, French, 5, subtitles, heading. And then here's my subtitles. English, Spanish, French, studios, heading. And here's the thing that the, about the studios. DreamWorks Home Entertainment. DreamWorks Home Entertainment. Data. And I can report, and if the data is incorrect, although I've never had to do this, I can go in here and report incorrect data. Before we go this week, I'd like to take care of a bit of housekeeping that we don't always do on Main Menu, and perhaps we should. First of all, if you live in the United States, be sure to set your clock forward one hour. Remember that we spring forward in the spring and fall back in the fall. That's how I always remember it. If you'd like to get in touch with us here at Main Menu, we would love to hear from you, and there are several ways that you can do that. First of all, you can just send an email to mainmenu at acbradio.org. That's mainmenu at acbradio.org. There are various lists that you can subscribe to to find out what's coming up, not only on Main Menu, but on ACB Radio in general. The first is an announce list, so you don't get any other traffic other than what the ACB staff sends out. You can join that list by sending a message to announce-subscribe at acbradio.org. That's announce-subscribe at acbradio.org. If you would like to have a little more interaction with other listeners, there are a couple of lists you can join. The first is a general discussion list, and you can join the ACB Radio Friends list by sending a message to friends-subscribe at acbradio.org. That's friends-subscribe at acbradio.org. If you'd like to join a list that only pertains to main menu, you can do that by sending a message to mm-friends-subscribe at acbradio.org. Once again, mm-friends-subscribe at acbradio.org. If you're one of those listeners who enjoys Twitter, as many of us do these days, you can follow us on Main Menu by sending or by going to www.twitter.com slash main menu. That's www.twitter.com slash main menu. If you'd like to follow my personal Twitter account, which does include some main menu content as well, and is not um, an account that I post to a lot, by the way, you can visit www.twitter.com slash Jamie Pauls. That's www.twitter.com slash J-A-M-I-E P-A-U-L-S. To visit the main menu homepage and download shows, that sort of thing, you can go to http colon slash slash mainmenu.acbradio.org. 
That's http colon slash slash mainmenu.acbradio.org. From there, you can click on the show's link, and you can stream or download past shows. If you would like to subscribe to a podcast of Main Menu and just receive it weekly when it comes out, you can do that a couple of different ways. If you want to do it from any podcast client, such as Internet Explorer or any others that you use, you can paste in the following URL, http colon slash slash mainmenu.acbradio.org slash rss dot php. Again, http colon slash slash mainmenu.acbradio.org slash rss dot php. If you're an iTunes user, maybe you have an iPod, an iPhone, one of those devices, an iPad, you can follow us or join our podcast on the iTunes store. So just go to the iTunes store, do a search for Main Menu, and you will find the Main Menu podcast. If you have content that you'd like to submit, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, you can do that a couple of different ways as well. If you go to ftp.acbradio.org and go to the incoming folder, you can upload content. But be sure and let us know that you have done that so that we'll know that it's up there. Another thing that you can do, it would probably be better, would be to get in touch with me either through the um, main menu at acbradio.org account, or if you want it, you can just use my personal email. I don't have a problem with that. jamiepauls at gmail.com is a good one. And let me know that you're interested in submitting something, and we'll talk about it and make sure that no one else has done it or is doing it, and you know what sort of uh, guidelines there might be. Nothing hard, nothing too difficult, but uh, a little groundwork might be laid. Also, there are some alternate ways that you can send me material if you don't do FTP. Again, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to receive content from you, the listener. The more content that we receive from a diverse group of people, the better the show is. It's really all about what you need and what you want and what you can contribute. That's how we feel here at Main Menu. That concludes this edition of Main Menu. We trust you've enjoyed the program. On behalf of the entire Main Menu team, I'm Jamie Pauls wishing you and yours a great week.